0: Only
1: redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers Cash has no cash value.
0: This is terrible food, baby. You haven't made a very good souffle. What fresh hell. Laughing in the face of motherhood. The biggest
1: block tower in the
0: whole world will fight the bad guys. With Margaret Abel's And Amy Wilson. You don't have to be on your hands and knees talking about how great tiles are. A
1: podcast that solves today's parenting dilemmas. So you don't have to. Yeah, like we have to have a tree.
0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. This is Margaret. And this is Amy. And this week, we're going to talk about getting kids to cooperate. I would like my kids to cooperate (laughs) with each other, with (laughs) me. There are about 9 million ways I can use this topic, Amy. Sometimes there's just those episodes, it's like, I want to know this, right? And
1: like, this was actually suggested by a listener named Allison. She says, I would love some insight into engaging the cooperation of my two boys, five and almost three. At what age is it reasonable to expect them to put away their toys, stay seated for meals, get in the bath without mind games? mind games game of thrones game of baths forever mind games and get ready for bed in less than 60 minutes they are capable but rarely willing and everything is an ordeal eight out of ten times sound familiar
0: it sounds super familiar but is it fair for me to just lead with this gets better i leaned in way too much with this with three and five year olds and now that they're like 12 and 10. It's just a completely different universe. And I'm kind of like, maybe I guess you've got to encourage it the whole time. But I also feel like this got a lot better. I feel
1: like I'm struggling with it in different ways, but there's definitely ages and stages around
0: this. She's, yes, I guess that's what I'm trying to say. It's ages and stages. It's not like, miraculously, you never have to mention this again, and one day it gets better, but definitely oh, ages and stages.
1: It's also not, if I don't get my two-year-old to cooperate, then I will have a 14-year-old who doesn't cooperate. I mean, you may have a 14-year-old who doesn't cooperate, take it from me,
0: but it won't be because you didn't, like, lock these skills in In toddlerdom. That's what I'm trying to say. And I do think a lot of cooperation with two, three, four-year-olds remains in kind of the performative space. Let's put the toys away. You did it. Like, okay, yes, fine. Good exercise. Clean up, clean up everybody everywhere. But I'm not sure that really getting into the mud with a two-year-old who doesn't want to clean up is that connected to why your 14-year-old doesn't want to unload the dishwasher. Mm -hmm. Fair or unfair? Fair. Well,
1: let's start with the ages and stages. I have some uh, scholastic.com talked about the sort of developmental stages of this. So let's go through it. Love it. They start with three-year-olds. So the fact that they start with three-year-olds, I can kind of deduce from that, that one, two-year-olds, as you say, it's if they do cooperate, lots of claps and mommy's so excited, but you know, it's it's
0: right. But not really a thing in a fundamental way.
1: It's a, a nascent skill. Right. So young three-year-olds, they say are often still unable to understand the need to share materials and take turns. If you spend any time in a nursery classroom, you've seen this. It's like, he has the truck, but I want the truck. It doesn't matter that he also wants it, I want it, yeah. when they're you know, two running the corner into three and a young three, they just don't even understand. So yeah, they're just not ready yet. And I think sharing and cooperation are kind of, you know, two sides of the same thing. Once they get into like three and a half, scholastic.com suggests then they are able to start to initiate activities that require working together. Let's make this block tower, the biggest block tower in the whole world. We'll fight the bad guys. And they, they start playing that way at about three and a half And that's when they can start to understand what cooperation is. That tracks. That makes sense to me. Tracks. Four-year-olds, they argue, love this stuff, live for this stuff, live for like, we're going to do this together. We're going to collaborate. We're going to have an ice cream store. You know, that kind of thing. Yes. (laughs) That's four-year-old land. That by the time they're four or five years old, they can start to sort of ascertain, this is what I want for myself, and I'm going to communicate it. And it might be something different than what you want. That's like five before they can do that. Something else you need to do to cooperate is to be able to understand I don't want to pick up my toys right now. Mm. But mom does want me to pick up my toys right now. And those wants are different and have to be negotiated again, like you're five before you really get that there's really anything that matters besides what you want in the world.
0: And this is something that I came to understand too late. Like, yes, that if you're fundamentally dealing with you know, a hungry dog at dinner time and you're spending a lot of time being like the nature of coming to your bowl is that you have to I don't know. It's just I spent too much time in that space.
1: Yes, I suppose so. And then six. Watch out for six because when they're six years old. Oh, six. When they're six years old, they want things to be fair. Yes. Which is a whole new roadblock to cooperation. Why do I have to do this?
0: Yes. And of course, as we're giving you these ages, some people come to it at 5, some people come to it at 8. You know, like these are not all developmental milestones and markers exist on a giant spectrum. So, yes. it's not like the day they turn 6, the light switch turns into fairness. Like not actually true. Yes. But uh, this makes sense why kids
1: at these ages are resistant to cooperating, right? Because first they're too little to even understand what you're asking of them. And then they yes. don't want to. And I'm expressing my own wants and desires. And then, hey, wait a minute. You know, why are no- there's nobody over there cleaning up the block corner? Just me. They, they get very caught up in that, which tries your last nerve. But they just do.
0: Yes. And we should give voice at this phase to one of the greatest blockades to cooperation, which is our own desire to not have another fight or to just get it done quickly. Yes. And that has always been for me. Like, I can unload the dishwasher in two minutes. My children unload the dishwasher in 15 minutes and have three verbal spats during it and then put six of the things in the wrong places. And so... It is sometimes hard for me to want to bother with all of the learning about cooperation when I could get it done in much less time. Absolutely. But then, of course, the problem for that,
1: as you well know, is that once you've set that up, sure. that if they whine enough, I'll just do it myself. Right When that is becomes the outcome, then you've trained the doggy that all they have to do is whine for, you know, 17 seconds. And mom will just take over and say, why do you make me do everything and then do it? If you've presented that outcome.
0: yeah. Yeah. Then you've got a bad paradigm and a bad story, which is like, I do everything. My kids are, you know, lackadaisical morons. It's not the best. So, But I'm sympathetic to every side of this because... Uh, you know, I'm in a super underwater phase right now where I just have a few too many things going on. And you know, I do find myself like, I'll just do, I do it myself.
1: Yes. And another part of this, you remember Michaeline Duclaff, we had her on the show and her book is called Hunt, Gather, Parent. It's so interesting. Yes. I recommend this book all the time because I think she makes such a really interesting salient point that that same two-year old, right, who doesn't really understand what cooperation means and wants to do what they want to do, really wants to help you do the dishes or load the dishwasher. And it's when they have that age, like I help mommy. Yes. That when that's there, they don't want to cooperate, but they want to help mommy or daddy or whoever the the adult may be. And we, you know, shoo them aside or we give them, you know, a plastic kitchen to play with instead of the actual kitchen that we're cleaning up. And when they really want to help us, we we push that aside. And then by the time, like, okay, now you're seven, now you really should be pulling your own weight around here, you know, bring those plates over from the table. They don't want to do it anymore.
0: That is such a good point. And Calista Watson made the same point when she was on talking about food and like, always the kids should be in the kitchen part of like, okay, you can chop this up, like, or you can break the stems off of this. And that's right. I think that integrating your children, this is the problem that I think many of us have is that, we kind of do the stuff while our kids are in another room that historically kids have been in the kitchen, helping prepare the meals, helping clean up, and that we feel like we kind of missed the boat. And now it's like, do I want to have a half an hour fight with my teenager about that he really has to unload the dishwasher? And I don't is the answer.
1: Right. It's an interesting question. I looked up sort of like, the use of the word cooperation, I was trying to drill down and like, when did we start expecting kids to cooperate? That it was even something we had to talk about. And I thought it was interesting right. that like before 1900, nobody was really using this word cooperation. And it wasn't because it wasn't a word. It was a word. Right. Because they were too busy doing the
0: cooperation. It was too busy doing. Right? They were running the farm together. Yes, exactly. Like,
1: and now the harvest. It isn't like, how can I get my kids to cooperate in the harvest? It doesn't. I'm listening to Angela's Ashes right now on Audible, a fantastic book. Oh,
0: gosh, that book. I
1: read it and now I'm listening to it. Guys, it's so good because the author is reading it himself. I'm talking about his childhood. He's a three year old at the playground with his two year old brother and his one and a half year old twin brothers. And he has to figure out like what's for dinner for them because it's getting dark. But his mom said, don't come home because she's nursing the sick baby. And it's like it's a small child in charge of it. And there's no, you know, there's no choice involved. I mean, it's an incredible story, but that's just what he did. That was just his life. And so now our kids like, you know, live on their cushions with their tablets and their Pillow pets.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And you constantly see like TikTok videos of like a three year old, like with an open flame, like making fried rice in a bowl for a baby. (laughs) And you're like, I guess we're reading a series of unfortunate events right now, which is a great book series. That's like our family book series right now. And it's about these three young kids who become orphaned and fall into a series of unfortunate events and it's very magical. I mean, they're like building cars and stuff. I mean, but there is something very magical about it for my kids. The idea that like the baby is the chef at one point for the evil villain. And he's always like, this is terrible food, baby. You haven't made a very good souffle, you know, and it's the joke is that the, you know, evil villain is mad at a baby for not being a good chef. But there is something about the whole series that, captures the whimsy of which I think kids really like the idea of like, childhood independence and being able and allowed to do a lot of things on your own.
1: Yeah. And it's interesting because those siblings, Klaus and Sunny and what's the daughter's name? Violet. We're reading them right now. I mean, I could recite the books to you. Violet is like the thinker, right? She's the conceptualist. She's the inventor. And Klaus is the researcher and Sunny sticks her hand in a socket. But Sunny has very sharp teeth. That's her skill.
0: She can bite everything. Oh, Sunny has sharp teeth. She's a baby. Right, right. Yes. So, like, when they're climbing a mountain, she's, like, biting the rocks and pulling them up. She's, like, got incredibly strong teeth.
1: It's like each of them brings skills to the table that get them out of these, like, preposterous situations that are far more interesting than a dishwasher that needs to be loaded, like, to be sure, right? Like, they're in peril, if we could make loading a dishwasher, like being tied to the railroad tracks and a train is coming, then they, our kids probably would cooperate. But they don't feel the same urgency that we do about the messy house.
0: But I do find that giving my kids some agency in those areas does actually help them. One of my kids is really into doing laundry. So he's into putting laundry in, washing it, moving it to the dryer, putting it in laundry, brings it, bring it upstairs. He does not fold. Uh-huh. But that's kind of his sphere. And I have had my husband's had a really busy time and has been traveling a tremendous amount. And we kind of had a family meeting before all of this started going down about like, hey, this is going to be a really hard time for mom. Like dad's going to be away a lot. And we really need you guys to pitch in. And I think that giving them that amount of like responsibility and agency really did help and kind of prepping them for it. And I noticed last night that my, well, I won't name them and shame them, but one of my children, I said, I need you to unload the dishwasher. I'm busy making dinner. And he grumbled and groaned about it. And I finally said, never mind, go get out of the kitchen. I don't want your help if I've got to beg for it, basically. Like, I'm not interested. And he walked out and I was like, now, where am I in this? Like, now I have excused him from doing the dishwasher because... He got out of it by whining. Mm -hmm. But then about, I did the dishwasher myself. And then about 10 minutes later, I called him into my room. Oh, I guess I'm in trouble. I said, you're not in trouble, but I want to tell you that I was really disappointed that when I needed your help, you weren't there to help me with it. And he was, you know, kind of upset and embarrassed by that. And he was like, is there something I could do to help after dinner? And I said, yeah, I would love it if you would clear the table then. And he did it. And I think that, yeah you got to lean into those opportunities. And I did get a little lost in it because I was so grouchy that I was like, I literally, it's not worth it to me for, to have help if it's going to involve this much whining and complaining. But then I think I kind of found my way back to it in a way that was like, dude, I actually need some help. I'm struggling. And he kind of got on board.
1: That's very interesting. And it brings up the, the topic of willingness. And I want to talk more about that after this break. I do have this question. Like, we want the willingness, right? We want the kids to do the thing and we want them to do it without complaining. We want them to want to help. And, Do we really need that? Does like, does the willingness have to occur in order for their cooperativeness to count? Like if they load the dishwasher
0: and fight the whole time, is that good enough? Or do we need them to be willing to also? A hundred percent. No, we don't have to want them to want to do it. We don't have to want them to be willing. I think that that's where the, what do you call that? You would say like, there's the pain point between like, what is it that you say about that? It's the gap. The suffering's in the gap. The suffering's in the gap. Like, we don't want them. Now, I will say... If you're really out of bounds while you're doing it, then it's like, okay, let's pause until you can do it correctly and you'll just stand next to the dishwasher waiting and then we'll try again. And if there's more fighting, we're going to pause. And now it's good, you're going to be standing in front of this dishwasher for half an hour, which you don't want. Mm-hmm. So like you can't misbehave. My mother's greatest advice, Amy, you can only judge people's behavior. <laughs> so, like, wanting to load the dishwasher is not interesting to me at all. Uh-huh. Punching your brother while loading the dishwasher, unacceptable behavior. Yeah. That behavior will stop. You will still unload the dishwasher. So, it would be easier for you to just do the unloading without the punching. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. And that's harder. That's a lot harder. You know, that's having them cooperate. It's having them cooperate unwillingly is much more of a pain for us. I mean, I get why we don't want it, but we can get stuck on and I want you to whistle while you work.
0: Right. Yeah. I want you to be like one of Cinderella's mice. No, you that, yeah. to, that madness lies that way. <laughs> do 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 that way. Madness lies. Amy, like, no, 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 no. I think a grumpy teen unloading the dishwasher. Fine. I think people fighting over the dishwasher. You have to put a stop to it, but no, that's right. Like, I think the other thing that it makes me think about is like the idea of secondary expectations that when I was training for the marathon, they were like, don't attach secondary expectations to running the marathon. So like, Mm. don't run the marathon to get thin. Because the worst thing you can do to yourself is like run 26.2 miles, like a feat that not many humans accomplish and be like, but I still don't fit in my jeans. So it's bad. Yeah. I'm two pounds shy of my
1: goal or some nonsense.
0: Yeah. That's right. Like, why would you do that to yourself? You just ran a marathon. Like, what an amazing thing you did. And you're going to rob it from yourself because you're too busy concentrating on the fact that like it didn't get you this other stupid goal. So I think that the idea of like having Cinderella mice singing while they unload the dishwasher is a secondary expectation.
1: I have another thing that sort of undercuts the goal, right? If the goal is a clean house without yelling, without too much yelling on anybody's part. Yes. I hate to say this one, but I think it's true. Cameron Claymo, she's a parenting coach. She wrote about this for Motherly. I'll put the link in the show notes. She suggests that when our irritation as parents is evident at the get-go, as we're making the request that our kids are much less likely to to comply. She says, give yourself some grace. This one is easier said than done, especially right now when every single parent on the planet is experiencing heightened stress and less patience. But our tone does play a big role in our child's willingness to comply.
0: This is true, but I don't think the solution is necessarily like, now you are the Cinderella mouse and you have to whistle while you ask for help. Mm -hmm. The way I feel like I get around this is Hey, can blah, 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 come over to play? Absolutely, as soon as your room is clean. Great. Sounds like a fun plan. Like... Attaching their own needs to the thing that needs to be done, like giving them some motivation or possibly being like, hey, I know you guys love my super special sloppy Joe lasagna or whatever. (laughs) But if we're going to have that, that means I need everybody on cleanup duty afterwards. Is that a good deal? You know, whatever. Like, yeah, attaching needs and expectations. It's like natural consequences is something that people talk a lot in terms of discipline, right? Like you were out on your bike and I saw you, you know, crossing against the stoplight or whatever, which is not allowed. You're not going to be able to ride your bike for two weeks or, you know, that you try to connect the consequences to the behavior, that that's kind of an important idea in discipline. And I think connecting the their outcome to the helping can be helpful too.
1: That was, yeah, I used to get much more playroom cleanup buy-in when I could say like, okay, like you guys can watch Doc McStuffins or whatever it was my kids wanted to watch when the playroom's clean. And then the hard part is then don't ride them until the playroom's clean. As you say, like, let the natural consequence be the consequence, then don't also ride them. Don't ride them to do it whistling or not fighting or in the next 10 minutes, right? If the consequences you can take all day, it can take eight hours, but... The screens won't go on until the work is done and then step back and then bite your tongue on that. But do it this way and do it quickly and do it not fighting. And
0: as you say, you have an expression when we're working on something often, Amy will say we need less touches on this, uh-huh. which means like she calls me and then I send the email and then I tell her I sent the email and then we have two follow ups and then somebody else has to check with them. Like you often say that, like we need less touches on this, like there's too many of us Six of us are trying to get this one thing done. We need to give it to someone as their assignment and and be done with it. But I think that's a good metaphor for this kind of stuff, too. Like, you need less touches on, like, Mm -hmm. empty the dishwasher. Another way to do this, we never have been, like, chore wheel. Are you chore chart people? No. I mean, like, for five minutes once in a
1: while. I had a, a Melissa and Doug board, which was kind of cute. Of course. Who hasn't had the Melissa and Doug board? Right. And you write their name, and it seems like a good idea. But it's a lot of structure around it. And and it's also like you should keep your room clean, not because, you know, mommy organized the Melissa and Doug board to put the little, you know, coat and shoes next to your name this week.
0: Agree. And also, I think the more structure you get into, the more you have like uh, people's court style hearings every night at the table that like the shoe wasn't on me, but I did it. But now the shoe's on me. So now we should move the shoe because now it should be his turn because I did it. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah. Like, right now he gets two turns. Right, right. Yeah. And I already did my two turns and that's not fair. <laughs> and I just feel like I want out of that. Like go unload the dishwasher. My dad, who is of a certain age, will often announce at the end of the meal, everyone under 75 clear the table. And it's like, it's just a rule, you know, like if you don't have trouble getting out of your chair, you're here to help clean up, you know, or. (laughs) (laughs) And he can do that. I mean, he has the gravitas for that. He has the gravitas for it. But also, I think sometimes it's like putting, you always say it's the marketing too a little bit, right? Like tonight, if we travel with our big, big group, big family, like, okay, teenagers, Tuesday night, little kids, Friday night, you know, who clears the table, who does this. And it's like, We kind of make it silly and fun, and then everybody feels, you know, they don't do it. They don't whistle while they work when it's their time to do it, but they kind of accept their fate, which is, I think, I think accepting their fate is the highest possible bar you're looking for.
1: Yes, that's right. So, get them there. All right. So, let's talk about some ways to sort of encourage cooperation, because I actually have come across some really good strategies that I'm totally going to try. I mean, sometimes you try them without realizing you tried them, but I'm going to try them. (laughs) The accidental try. The accidental try. Like, oh yeah, that did work when I did that. This kind of blew my mind because most of these strategies are not about what happens when you're standing in the hallway saying, put your shoes on right now and they won't. These are strategies that are about what you're doing the rest of the time. This, I like this. I like where you're going. Like the other... 98% of the time, so that moment will hopefully get a little easier. So that's what we're going to talk about. I'm going to quote parent educator Pam Leo here. She says, the level of cooperation parents get from their children is usually equal to the level of connection children feel with their parents. So the moment when you're like, put your shoes on, I said put your shoes on, is not what she's talking about, connecting in that moment. It's more the connecting, like, the rest of the time. Are you making enough time in your life to connect with them one-on-one and talk about what they want to talk about. Can you, you know, when there's all magnetiles everywhere, they have to be cleaned up. Can you give it the extra two minutes beforehand, for example, to go sit down with them? This is so cool. Will you tell me how this works? And then really listen to what they're answering us, right? Really give that a moment and then say, wow, that was so cool. I think we should take like three pictures of this and then we have to clean this up because we have people coming over for dinner tonight whatever it is, that if you can connect before you direct, that you're probably going to get greater cooperation than if you don't.
0: Is this true? I don't know if I'm down with this point at all. I mean, Ma Engels, she wasn't like, tell me more about the magnet tile. She was like, our farm depends on you guys bringing in sticks. I think that that's true that like a loving household has more love in it. But I also think that, like, this is a little privilege in terms of its premise. You have a lot of time to spend a lot of time, like, connecting in this way with your kids. I mean, I'm not sure. To take the other side of that, Ma Ingalls was pretty connected with their kids. They spent all day, every day together. Sure. They, nobody was looking at their phones. They, they were like the Micheline Duclef version where they were always together, working together. They were in it. She was incredibly connected. I don't know if that's why the kids cooperated because they had to because there was
1: no choice not to. I have a story that I think plays this out. I check on my kids in the morning. You know, I have two older kids making sure they're up. We're at the point now where it's like, you set your own alarm. You decide when you're going to get up. If you want a backup, you let me know. And I'll, you know, come see and I'll come make sure you're up and moving. Because I have one kid who's an incredibly sound sleeper who really does like turn off the alarm and go back to sleep and have no recollection. Right. Needs that extra step sometimes. And I tend to, when I go in and that kid is late for school, the room's a mess, forgot the form, you know, like the thing I know you need for school today is over there on the floor. I wake this kid up and immediately start. I realized that I was starting every interaction with this kid with find this, do this, you're late, get up, you know, the eggs are getting cold, whatever, like constantly giving instructions instead of just, and I just took a moment to be like, okay, really sleepy kid, really hard time waking up. still pretty groggy. Just say good morning, right? Just say good morning and how did you sleep? (laughs) Wait five minutes and then go back in and say, hey, did you remember? I think you might need that for today. I I signed it and I see it there on the floor so you better remember to bring it. So just connect before you direct, not immediately launch into like, here's all the things I need you to do right now that you're actually 10 minutes late in
0: doing. It's not a good way to wake up
1: in the morning. And I heard myself doing it. I'm like, okay, I could ease up a little bit.
0: I think that's exactly right. And I think it's, what I'm saying is I agree with it absolutely at the 30,000 foot level, which is like more calmness, more happiness and more joy, better results in all things. right? But I really reject this means you need to spend more time running around the playroom with your kids. I think that the idea is like cooperation doesn't start at the dishwasher 100%. I totally agree. Let's take a break. We'll be back with more tips for getting our kids to
1: cooperate.
0: And now, the types of moms you will definitely meet at school pickup from the What Fresh Hell podcast, the disorganized mom. Where does Mrs. Smith's class line up
1: for the third grade? Oh, wait, no, my kid is in second grade. Is there a teacher named Mrs. Smith?
0: The humble bragger.
1: I would love to get some recommendations for books for my first grader because he's already read everything that we have at the house. And it's so hard to find appropriate material for him because he reads on a fourth grade level. It's really it's such a dilemma. The PTA mom. Have you signed up yet for the bake sale? We also need someone to run the nutrition committee, and I think you'd be a great fit. Or the fourth grade play set down decorating committee that is always a fun one the documentarian mom oh my gosh let me get a picture of you too. look at how cute they are give me a thumbs up guys oh my gosh let me get a picture of the whole group come on come on okay one more okay one more okay now this way the over it mom this is my fourth kid i cannot wait to stop doing this yo mary i'm over here on the bench tell your teacher i said it's okay for first graders to self-dismiss The not ready to let go, mom. Don't you just wish you could just freeze them at this age forever? No. I mean, I just hate to think of them growing at all. It makes you want to cry.
0: You know what I mean? Not at all.
1: I just wish I could just dip him in amber so he'd never ever change. Whoa, do not agree. This is Ben, the types of moms you will definitely meet at school pickup from the What Fresh Hell podcast. All right, here's one. Carmen Claymo, she blogs at sensorymom.com. This is another one that's like, yeah, this, I knew this, but I need to be reminded of this. She says that kids of all ages are unconsciously looking for ways to feel more powerful and to have more control and to be independent from us, which is why everything we say is so annoying, right? Yes. Why does mom ruin everything? So she says seeking autonomy is a natural and important part of their development. So the more opportunities we can give them to make their own decisions... Again, this is a like, not when they're late and they don't have their shoes on yet. This is like the rest of the time. Let them make their own decisions about what shoes they're going to wear on a Monday. And they're going to be a little more likely to put them on if they don't have to exercise their autonomy in direct response to our requests.
0: And find the constant response to the question, could my child be doing this on their own? So Autonomy is a big thing, especially with the laundry doer. He has certain shirts he likes to wear. He's very... specific about his clothing. And this was part of the solution. You need to run your own clothing system and cycle because you don't want your clothes mixed up with our clothes. Because then I don't know whether your one shirt with like the logo that you love is mixed up with like dad's underwear that is stuck behind a bed somewhere in the downstairs, you know, like, (laughs) so here's a solution. He has his own bin. He brings it down. He washes it. He dries it. He brings it back upstairs. He likes that level of control around his stuff. And so that's a great place for cooperation and autonomy. We have some woods around our house. When the cousins are over, you guys can go explore and figure out how to keep each other safe in the woods. The Boy Scouts are big on this, you know, like that it's scout led at a certain point. It's up to all of you to figure out, not just like where to walk, but how to be safe. If somebody falls, you have to give them first aid until someone else can get there. I think that Those kind of autonomy exercises are ones that we kind of skip in our busy, structured life. Lenore Skenazy would talk about this too, right? The adults are always there ready to swoop in and solve the problems. And so the kids don't ever really get a chance to flex those muscles. We had cousins over this weekend playing a game of their own invention. And what happens when kids play a game of their own inventions? The game Favors the person making up the rules and the rules are constantly, Oh, really, you know, <laughs> actually that's out the way that you hit it, but it's in when I hit it that way. And it went to a very dark place and it ended up with five kids, like really mad at each other and screaming. These are my sister's kids. And you know what we did? We completely ignored it. We did not get involved at all. And they all kind of left actually like arms crossed, mad at each other. And of course, I had an instinct to be like, before your cousin leaves, you need to make up. No, you don't. They're not going to remember it. They're not Mm going to sit around for four weeks and be like, he cheated at that game. These kids are all under 12. I think that that is a huge part of cooperation, too. If you want us to play your game, like you have to uh, make the rules fair. That's cooperation. And that's the interesting part, right? As Lenore was saying, like
1: parents want to step in. She told the story about observing kids on a playground who played for like 90 minutes and then the parents said it's time to go home and the kids were like we just finished making up the rules and we're about to start playing and she said that was so funny because of course like what have you been doing for 90 minutes the parents would have stepped in and done that part like here's the rules just do this just whoever's name starts with the first letter of the alphabet is first go but that sort of the fun part of cooperation or at least the interesting part of cooperation is the problem solving yes is like how are we going to get all this done in the next five minutes before company comes over and we i think often remove that part, right? We just, you do this, you do this instead of, whoo boy, I don't know how we're going to get all this done. Hmm.
0: That is learning. I mean, Christina Martin, who was on talking about the children's school would say like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That is the learning based on her example. We keep our giant clunky vacuum cleaner in our garage. And so we have our house is just bizarrely built. So there's a billion stairs. So it's basically like three different staircases you have to navigate to get this huge vacuum cleaner up the stairs. And so, I don't know, maybe when they were like nine and seven, I would say, I set my kids down. I was like, get that vacuum cleaner upstairs for me. And it took them 45 minutes between (laughs) the two of them to figure out. Like, it was that friend scene pivot, you know, like they could not. And they were fighting and screaming. and But there's a lot of learning that happens on that journey that you skip if you're just like, oh, do it like this. Not like this. Do it like that. Yeah. And let me show you. You My husband, who's a little bit of an A student, as we've discussed occasionally, I'll say at the dinner table, like, what do you think were were the challenges in like Manifest Destiny? And my husband would be like, well, one problem. And I'm like, honey, this is a question for the children. I love you. But like, he does know better what the challenges of Manifest Destiny were. Yeah, I've been that person. Sure. I've had to have the gentle redirection there. I think it's a kind of adorable personality trait. But the more you can let your kids figure things out. And it may involve some broken dishes, you know, so like letting them unload the dishwasher and figure it out. My ultimate example of this is if you want the kids to decorate the Christmas tree, it's going to look bonkers for a couple of years. And you have to accept that.
1: Yeah. You know, that's funny last year with Christmas, I just wasn't feeling it so much, even though it was going to be like just us you know, locked home and like, I'm right, making Christmas extra merry. We did end up having a tree. But I mean, I just was not really feeling it. And I knew like nobody was going to be coming over. So I had an honest conversation with my kids like, do you want a tree? And they're like, what do you mean? And I'm like, do you got, like, here's what usually happens, right? We get the tree, we put it up. I put out all the ornaments, I harangue and harangue. And then eventually a desultory like ornament here, like tinsel there, blah, blah, blah you know, and I do it all myself. I don't have to do it. So should we have one? And then of course, the kids were like, Yeah, we have to have a tree. And there was much more buy-in from them once it was their choice to have it or not. Yeah. It was interesting.
0: I thought they would say, eh. And instead they were like, what do you mean we have to have one? And they totally bought in. I think buy-in is huge. It's a good thing to practice. Last night, I had a hilariously ridiculous dinner situation where I had just, I was making steak and the one ingredient I didn't have, Amy, was steak. So then I had like sides going and I had to run to the grocery store that I'm trying to cook this steak. The only steak I get was like $30. And I'm like, if I burn this $30 steak, I'm going to murder someone, you know? And so I'm checking the steak, I'm trying to get everything done and I'm, I'm whirling dervish. And then what often happens is People sit down and they start eating before I even sit down at the table. And then especially when my kids were younger, there are people who are like done and I haven't even like poked up my fork yet. And I was, I'm just like, no, I don't, I'm not going to live like this anymore. It's a no. But at 12, 11 and nine, they are much, much more able to be like, I need you to set the table. One of my kids put the biscuits in the oven, you know, those pop can Mm -hmm. biscuits, like Mm -hmm. you can make those. Pete, they helped much more. And they were able to wait when I said, I am not ready. Nobody touch any food until mom sits down in the chair. That is family cooperation. But there were nights when my kids were nine, eight, and six, where I would just like put my head down and cry at the end of the meal and be like, I I can't live like this. This is awful, you know? Right. There are a lot of people listening for whom this is all like a distant possibility
1: and it's coming. Can we circle around to a couple of tips for people with young kids who this is still like a very growing thing? Yes, please. This is some more stuff from Scholastic that I thought was good. You can pick activities, again, because you're doing this stuff all the time. Not that it's your only You know, motivation, but like if you have a household where this stuff is happening, then it gets a little easier. If you choose activities and games and things that require cooperation, you're making your own ice cream at home and everybody has to stir, everybody has to take a turn. And when is it going to be ice cream? And then we made ice cream. Look, we stirred so much there was ice cream, that kind of stuff. This is a scholastic suggestion. And then the thing I always did, which was to talk aloud about stuff as if I didn't know the answer to the question I was asking myself, like, hmm. I don't know, you know, if we are going to have enough room here at this table. What should we do? Even though it's going to be you and you know your biggest kid getting the other table from the other room and dragging it in, and the four year old can't help. Let them hear you wondering how you're going to solve this problem. Let them be the one to be like, "What if we got the table from in there?" Give them chances to collaborate in solving the problem. Yes. And then when you are doing something nice for somebody else, this is. scholastic suggestion. It's a little specific. Jerry and I are holding up the branch so that everyone can go under it, that you say something like that when you're doing something cooperative for somebody else. Just model it, just talk about it. They're too young to do it, but they're not too young to learn like cooperation is cool and interesting.
0: Another phrase I liked when my kids were this age, because I have three very closely spaced kids, is I need a helper. Just, I need a helper. And like someone would come and it was noticeable which children were always ready to be the helpers and which one were not. I do have a kid who has what we call low frustration tolerance Uh and can be particularly cranky on the subject of being asked to help and asked to do things. And I try to give that child a lot of choices. Would you rather help with this or this? And I try to also give that child a lot of grace. I walk up and... This kid is in the middle of a game, and I say, Turn that off. I need you to come help me unload the car full of groceries. Like, I understand that, like, that is a fraught place. And so I do try to avoid that and find other ways of cooperation. And I will say that kid is one of my biggest helpers. One week when my husband was away, I woke up to the sound of the garage door opening, and he had remembered it was garbage day and he was taking my garbage cans out to the curb for me. Like, he wants to be a helper, but like, I have to help him find the paths to it. And I would put that in your way as well, that it's not always as easy for some kids as it is for others. And therefore, if you only are always like, praise the helper. Like I know in my house with two boys and a girl, my daughter would get all of the praise on that. And like, that's not good for anybody. Oh, uh, that's interesting. Yeah. Which is like, oh, daughter, you're always the great helper. It's like, because you're so good at cleaning up. Like, I don't want that for my daughter. And I don't want that for my sons, which is like, you are constantly being shamed for right. not being as helpful. Like, I think there's a lot of ways to come at this that are not like, that come from that 30,000 place of love and fun and joy. But you don't have to be on your hands and knees talking about how great Magnetiles are, if you're me. Uh, yeah, it takes time. All right. We solved it. Solved it. I liked this conversation. Mm Mm-hmm like thinking this one through. It's ongoing, right? Like I'm still getting cooperation
1: from my teenagers. I'm still working at it, but this stuff works. None of us have the Cinderella mice
0: yet, Amy. That's still a distant (laughs) dream. Friends, we want you to check out our podcast, Toddler Purgatory, specifically for parents with kids under six, but fun and funny for people of all ages. Molly is an
1: old friend of mine and she and Blair are super funny and, you know, bring a new parenting topic every week, just like this show and we think you really like it. Check it out wherever you're listening to search Toddler Purgatory
0: or go to ToddlerPurgatory.com. And follow or subscribe. Oh yeah, don't forget that. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week. So long.
3: Oh, hey everybody. It's us, Blair and Molly, your old pals from Toddler Purgatory.